You're listening to the Maximum Advisor Podcast, a show that empowers financial advisors to set goals, take action, and grow their practice. Your host, Chip Munn, is an award-winning advisor and CEO whose advice is regularly featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, and The Streets Retirement Daily. Listen in as he sits down with industry experts to talk about building a practice and making an impact. Welcome back to the Maximum Advisor. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I'm joined by Dennis Mosley-Williams. Dennis is the founder of DMW Strategic Consulting. He's the author of Serious Shift, How Experience Staging Can Save Your Practice. He's a podcaster and one of two certified experience economy experts working in financial services globally. Dennis, welcome to the show. Chip, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, you have certainly jumped into a niche business, right? Niche, niche, I'm not sure which one it is, but to be two of anything certified working in an area globally is quite an accomplishment. So what does that mean? What does a certified experience economy expert do? Well, I'll tell you what the certification is. The first time I ever spoke to a room full of financial advisors was in 1995. That was the first time, if you will, I was paid to show up somewhere and share my opinion. And I remember at the time, one of the things I said was not quite an offhand comment, but a comment along the lines of, you know, trying to make my point that there's clearly something going on at Starbucks that has value that goes above and beyond the coffee. It's not the coffee that people are buying. It's this idea of experience. So that's 95. And I started really talking about experience as a separate economic offering, experience separate from service, separate from goods, its own thing as the predominant economic offering that we pay for, that consumers pay for. Then in 1999, the book, The Experience Economy came out, written by Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore. And everyone listening should read that book. You know, when people say, oh, I've read that book so many times, you know, I know it like the back of my hand. I can pull a brand new copy of that book off a shelf in any bookstore anywhere and flip to exactly the page I want to be on. So 99, that book comes out. Joe and Jim have, you know, sort of coined this term, the experience economy, and they're academics. They made the same observation and many more observations that I had, which was clearly there's something going on at Starbucks and various other businesses. It's all about this experience. Well, the rest of us saw that and just accepted it. We saw it, accepted it. We wondered, how does this impact business? We started thinking about it and sharing it. But these guys, they're academics. They had to break it all down and understand how it works. If the experience is the offering, then underneath it, there must be an economy. In 2015, I went to school with Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore, the authors. I did their certification course. It's five days in the summer in Minneapolis. And as I say, I did it. It was so powerful that my business partner, Tom Frisbee, he did the course himself two years later, which is why we're, we're the only two that have ever done that course that work in the money business. So what certified experience economy experts do is, A, we understand what the experience economy is. We understand the frameworks. We understand how experience differs from service. And we understand how to help small businesses or big businesses, I suppose, but in my case, small businesses, make that shift up the progression of economic value away from delivering services to staging experiences. 
So if that's too long of an answer, I apologize to everybody listening. But the short answer is I went to school with the masters and I learned this stuff inside out and upside down. That's perfect. So one of the things that you hit on kind of in your description is that there is a difference between service and experience. Mm -hmm. I think that some people would make the argument or probably a lot of advisors have made the argument that the service is the experience. So how do you differentiate between the two? Okay, so you're exactly right. And that's the perfect question to start with because it's the critical error everybody makes. Service and experience aren't the same thing. Here is the easiest way to differentiate them. One service is designed to save people time, to make things easier, save them time, save them hassle, et cetera, okay? Whereas experience is designed and staged to create time well spent, to create engagement, delight, all based on personalization, and ultimately a desire within the client to linger, to stick around, to spend more time with the business or business owner. So real layman's terms here, think about the drive-through window of a restaurant, so to speak, a fast food restaurant. Well, that's service. Experience is the five-star restaurant that you don't want to leave. To use coffee shops as an example again, Dunkin' Donuts, I recently read a little report on them in the newspaper and the CEO made a point of saying, hey, we, we don't want to be in the experience business. We're in the service business, he said. And good for him because he knows what business he's really in and he's not confused. He said, we want to be a place where you can come in and out in a second. Okay, that he is absolutely focused on service, making it fast. Whereas Starbucks, where their offering isn't the coffee, the offering is the experience. The desire is to create time well spent, a longing within the client to linger and stick around. And you create that experience by staging, not delivering services, but staging an experience that is deeply, inherently personal to your client, delightful and engaging. It holds their attention and holds them in the business. That is the biggest difference. And the biggest mistake that we make, particularly in the financial service industry. So advisors listening today, you can be forgiven for assuming that experience and service are the same thing. Anything that you read that I haven't written tells you so. It tells you that, you know, these firms come up with new technology or portfolio software, et cetera, et cetera. What's the promise? The promise is if you use this, if you move your business to our firm and use this technology, this wonderful experience, they call it, they then make the promise. We'll save you time and money and effort and save your client time, et cetera, et cetera. So I am advocating don't spend less time with your clients. Spend more time with your client, more meaningful time, more time that makes an impact, more time that's completely about them and their preferences. So fear to say then service would be more about efficiency. Correct. Yeah. Now, let me give you the most fun example I can. I want you to, everybody listening Picture the proverbial wise guru up on the mountain, okay? And let's call that wise guru for our purposes today a financial advisor. Is the wise guru on the mountain, you know, think about what you have to do to get there. The journey that is required by the pupil, let's say, right? You got to walk up that mountain. And it's sort of positioned to you as this challenge, this, if you will, this transformation. Now, by the time you get up there, I'm going to argue that the wise person on the mountain, the guru on the mountain is actually an experience. What they say 
whatever insight or information they offer you in terms of value to you is going to be less valuable than the journey itself. You and I are best friends. You do the journey. And Chip says to Dennis, oh, Dennis, you got to do the journey. You got to go meet the wise guy in the mountain. And I say, well, I'm going to. I absolutely will as soon as I get some time. But Chip, in the meantime, can you tell me what they said, what they told you? And because you're my buddy and you don't want to torture me, you say, yeah, yeah, of course. He said, Google it. But the very next thing that you're going to say to me is, but Dennis, now that you have the answer, don't skip the journey. The value is the journey and who you have to become to get that information. Now, let's go back to this idea here. So here we have the wise person on the mountain. Imagine that wise person on the mountain who we sit as a financial advisor, looks around the valley of wise people and notices that there's a whole bunch of people sitting on the other mountaintops, okay? Sitting on the other mountaintops doing their thing. And they think, geez, the competition's getting stiff up here. I used to be the only smart guy in the whole mountain. Now on, on all these 10 other mountaintops, there's a smart guy. So our wise guy makes a critical error. This is an analogy for not only the financial services industry, but for every business in the world. Our wise guy says, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to save my clients time and effort. I'm going to walk down the mountain and I'm just going to wait for them at the start of the path. And now what I'm going to point out to you, Chip, is now you're not only are you not an experience, you're a service. You've made a move to save your clients time and ultimately money. Time and effort. You're moving to the bottom of the mountain. You're saving them the walk. And what goes hand in hand with saving them time is saving them money. Now you're no longer an experience. You're a service. And maybe a couple of other guys moved down the mountain too. Now you look around and you go, man, we all had the same idea. We all saw that we got busy and crowded. We all moved to the trailhead. So our, our wise guy makes another move. He says, I'm just going to become a toll-free number. Don't even worry about coming to see me at the trailhead. Forget about it. Just call 1-800-WISE-GUY. Just do that. And a few other guys do that too. And our wise guy, again, commoditizes himself. He's saving you time. He's making himself even cheaper. Think about all these E-trades, et cetera. And then finally, the last stop is he says, you know what? I'm just going to make myself an app. Don't even worry about all of those buttons. You don't have the time. Just mash this little thing with your thumb and it'll connect to me directly. All of those moves were moves down the mountain to save clients time. What the wise person should have done at the very beginning was look around the valley of smart folks and make an even bigger pile of rocks to sit on to make it even harder to get to the top of the mountain. Everybody listening, it is in your enlightened self-interest to create a journey for your client, to lead them to you. It's not just experience. It's a series of successive experiences that ultimately lead your client to a guided transformation. Like to stay on this analogy, it's the walk and what the client has to become that is all the value. Whatever advice, the actual product that the wise person hands out at the top is secondary. It's almost memorabilia. What I'm arguing is, hey, advisors, you know, this is the questions I've asked every advisor for years and years. What do you really do? For whom? And the final question is, what change do you help create? And what change do you help create? The journey is the staged experiences, the successive experiences that lead to ultimately the guided transformation. The client is not transformed by the advice. Google it, Chip. They are transformed by the journey. Everybody listening, what's your journey? What is your client journey like? Experience is time well-designed. 
It's not about efficiency. Oh, well, we make sure when they show up that we're ready, you know, and we check them in and move them in and it's all quick and efficient. That's not what I'm looking for. What I am looking for is an experience. I want the advisors listening to turn their meetings into an event. What's an event? By definition, I, I want you to imagine that the band U2 is coming to your town and you've got tickets. That's an event. Ahead of time, you look forward to it. You think about it. You wonder about it. You talk about it. Yeah. And then it happens. It's happening. It's happening now. You're engaged. You're dancing. You're in. You're blown away. You're saying to yourself, I'll never forget this. I'll never be the same. Right on. And when it's over, what do you do? You talk about it. That's a rock concert. Why can't investors feel that way about review meetings with their advisor? Because they don't attend events, they attend meetings. And meetings are forgettable no matter how good the service is. What we need is to stage an experience called a review meeting that somebody looks forward to, thinks about it, dreams about it, wonders about it, the journey. While it's happening, while they're engaged, it's on, it's fascinating. They're thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, I wish this would never end. Lingering, this is about me, this is made for me at this point in time, this is perfect. And when it's over, they walk out the door and the moment they're with anybody that they trust or love or someone they speak to about these matters, they say, you know, hey, Chip, I got to tell you about this amazing conversation I had the other day with the quote unquote wise guy on the mountain, who in fact is Chip, my financial advisor. So there you go. That's the big mistake they make. That service and experience are the same thing designed to do same things. Well, I'm going to have a hard time getting the picture of me sitting on a mountain as the wise guy out of my head. That's going to be a struggle for me because I like thinking about that. Yeah, you know, I'd like to be that guy. Picture yourself in a toga. Okay, go ahead. Well, I can, but I don't think anybody else should. I want you to know I'm wearing one right now. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> um, so I think that for a lot of listeners, that's hard to fathom how to have a review meeting that people look forward to that are engaged again above and beyond being interested right there's a difference between being interested in your finances and being engaged in an experience that then they talk about after i mean i've heard of advisors who they call their experience that they have a certain kind of cookies and that's the end of it when you say or when we try to picture an experience an event then that we call a client review. How does that look in our business? So let's start with this idea. And the idea is that experience is time well designed. Okay. Experience is time well designed. The hallmark of an experience is a memory, what you look back on and reflect on. And I said something else a couple of minutes ago, where I said, my three questions are, what do you do for whom? And the third question is, what change do you help create? So if we look at this idea that experience is time well designed and how do you turn something as mandatory and required and seemingly ordinary, a word I don't like to use, as a review meeting, I'd say, okay, well, let's start at the very beginning. The question becomes, if you want to turn this thing into an event, what is it that you're thinking about versus worrying about before the meeting even starts? In other words, on the enticing stage, weeks before this meeting, when you say, hey, this meeting is coming up and we're going to see each other. Well, what do you put in the hands of your clients to get them thinking? You are what you charge for. So right away, if you put a bunch of 
fund reports and prospectuses and charts and graphs in someone's hand and you say, please review these before you come in. Well, not only are you out of touch, you're not giving anybody anything they're going to get excited about. So I suppose the first thing starts with, well, what change do you want to create? What are you wanting to teach people that day? In addition to the technical, here's what's going on with the markets. What else is your practice about? What are they going to learn from you that day? You should be thinking about how you can make it more fun. These are the realms of experience, education, entertainment. How can I make this more fun? Okay, think about escapist. How can I momentarily transport my client from one sense of reality to another, which actually lends itself to financial planning because we're always thinking about the future. And finally, aesthetic. What can I do to encourage my client just to linger? So it starts with this. I always use my wife and I in these examples. If I'm coming in to see you and I've never seen you ever, the question becomes, who are you trying to help me become? And you're not going to necessarily come right out and tell me that on the phone. Dennis, I'm going to transform your life. What you're going to be telling me on the phone is, you know, that we're going to have a really great conversation. It's going to be based on fit and all these things. The question becomes, what do you then put in my hand that tells me a little bit about you and what you're about? And just based on the questions and, if you will, the pre-work you're getting my wife and I to do before we come and see, what does that tell me about you? And what can you put in my hand so that I say to Sherry, oh my gosh, hey, this is really cool. Get this. Or, hey, Sherry, what do you think of this? Or, here, there's a question written here. There's something I'm supposed to read and reflect on. It's really amazing. Get this. Something that starts a conversation. I mean, I can't believe how many advisors allow people to come to their office where you can just imagine the conversation these two people have, you know, in their front hall closet before they come in where... Husband says to wife or wife says to husband, who is this guy we're meeting anyway? Oh, it's Chip. Chip, really good guy. Really good guy. Chip Munn. Okay, okay, great. What are we going to be talking about? And the other person says, I don't really know. Like that is not going to be an event. So how you entice and get people interested and thinking ahead of time leads to it. Entering. What does it feel like when a client shows up to a review meeting? Like, what's the difference between I show up and check in and tell the receptionist I'm here to see Chip versus this, I walk in and you're standing in the lobby waiting for me. Or for those of you who have offices where you literally can park right outside, can you imagine if my wife and I pulled up in front of the office and you were standing outside waiting for me? And I even maybe said to you, oh, hey, nice to see you. Are you waiting for me? And you said, well, yes, of course I am. We're right inside the lobby. Of course, I'm waiting for you. Not only that, I'm ready. Not only that, we've personalized around all your preferences. We're set up. We're ready. The entire team is involved. Everybody comes over and says hello and introduces themselves. We've done our homework ahead of time. When I'm thinking about this idea of shifting clients from one sense of reality to another, who says you have to have all of these meetings in your office to begin with? Maybe there's something to be said. I certainly know advisors who do this, who mix up the setting. I know of an advisor who does some of his review meetings anyway, are a walk through an art gallery. No kidding. He buys you a ticket. He shows you assets in your own town, the museum that you never travel to or visit that you should. And as you walk around having this wonderful conversation about the state of financial planning and the rest of it and the markets in your portfolio, he starts to talk about legacy and he talks about the value of the art on the walls and what was driving the artists and whether or not they would be awestruck to find out that these paintings they made are priceless now or what have you. Like they have this huge, amazing conversation. At the end of it, they sit around, they have a coffee and a good visit. 
the client gets to talk and get a lot off their chest, okay? And they've mixed up the environment from the stale, predictable, gosh, I've done this a thousand times meeting to here. Let's find new ways to engage you and mix this up. So, you know, those four questions that advisors should be asking is, in addition to the technical, what do I want my clients to learn? How can I make this more fun? I have clients to play games with their clients in review meetings. Escapism, how can I transform you from one sense of reality to another? And the last is aesthetic. What can I do that just make you want to linger? Let me just touch on that one for a moment. I remember going into this guy's office in New York City years ago. And as I walked down the hallway to his office, I looked into every financial advisor's office and they all looked the same. There's weird charts on the wall. There's lots of bulls and bears around. There's piles of messy paper, unfortunately. And just, you know, the television that's on with the money news, multiple computer screens, charts, all kinds of colors on them. I was like, oh my God. And everybody sitting there is, in my opinion, acting. They're all trying to look like serious folks. So anyway, I'm walking with this guy who's already made an impression as being like the nicest most humble. He's so delighted that I'm in his office. I'm somewhat flattered. I, I don't know if I can really say that, but like truly I'm like, wow, it's a really big deal to this guy that I'm here. He's thanked me like five times and the meeting hasn't started. Had his picture taken with me immediately. Would you take this picture? You know, as though he's meeting like a New York Yankee. It was the craziest thing. When I walked into his office, this is what I saw. I didn't see anything on the walls, the tables or anywhere that would suggest this person is an investment advisor. I remember that all of his blinds on the windows were at the perfect height. They were all like uniform, like they were one big thing, okay? On one side of his office, he had a dining room table. On the other, he had a sectional sofa. He had no overhead lights on. The entire office was lit with lamps, okay? It was like all of these people are financial advisors and I am a therapist. In fact, I made a joke about it at the time. I said, I feel like this is a therapist's office. Like I said to him, you know, people lie down on the couch and you charge them $250 an hour or something. And he laughed and he goes, well, I am basically a therapist and that is exactly what I do, but I charge them a lot more than $250. To go see this guy, and I'll remind you, New York City worked on Park Avenue. He said to me then, he goes, you know, all my clients are like everybody else's clients. They all live in Westchester. So yeah. He says, you ask any of these guys, they'll tell you my clients won't come to the city. They don't want to come and see me. My clients all want to come and see me. They look forward to it. They can't wait to come to the city. It's a date. We'll go see the advisor, then we'll go out, et cetera, et cetera. He has turned an everyday routine into something that you feel you really can't miss. So again, what do you want them to learn? How do you make it more fun? What can you do to transport them from one sense of reality to another? And lastly, what can you do just in the environment to make them want to linger? And how can you use time differently? Think well out in advance of these meetings. What can you put in people's hands that get them excited, that get them interesting? How can you teach them something? How can you make me go, man, I want to meet this chip guy. I can't believe he never once talked about holistic financial planning and really getting to know me and building a comprehensive plan that's tailored around me. That's what everybody else told me they're going to do. Wow, this guy sent me amazing articles from Psychology Today on stress and aging and how, you know, money is not the root of all evil, fearing it is. And I really love like, this is interesting. He gave me something to talk about at dinner that became a discussion. Oh, wow. Entering, during, exiting, and extending. These are all the five stages of experience. Most people just focus on the during, on the concert, on the event. And I'm saying, stop. There's five stages, not one. Pay attention and respect each of them. 
Well, I've never heard it explained that way. And I, I think that it's obvious your book being titled The Serious Shift makes an awful lot of sense in that what it seems to me that you're saying is we have to shift the look or the mindset to almost the concept of, I think about Disney. I mean, when you go to Disney, the happiest place on earth, there's no trash. I mean, everybody loves being at Disney because Mm -hmm. at Disney, everything's perfect. In Disney, you're not, well, everything's not perfect because you've got screaming kids sometimes and, uh, you know, you've been there, but idyllic. It is, it's not necessarily customized to me, but you can tell that everything is processed in such a way to enhance how I'm going to interact with it and what I'm going to come away with. Exactly. Like fundamentally, if you look at Six Flags and Disney, they offer the exact same thing. Amusement park rides and, you know, concessions and fun games and and distraction, right? And yet everybody listening knows, well, there's a hell of a lot of daylight between Six Flags and Disney, Dennis. It's like, yes, yes, there is. And the difference is experience and intention, Disney sets out to be the happiest place on earth, a place where adults and children can have fun together, okay? But what separates them, and this is in a recent blog where I said, you know, the most successful businesses, business owners, entrepreneurs, they think about their products a lot. They think about their products. They think about messaging. They think about making themselves easy to understand and relate to and find and ultimately invest in or buy, right? But the most successful businesses and business people and entrepreneurs, they worry about something else entirely different. What they worry about is what their clients care about the most. That's what they worry about. So if you take Disney, every amusement park in the world, they worry about rides and numbers and fun and all that kind of great stuff and parking, right? And bathrooms and and all that. But what Disney worries about is missed opportunities. They worry about lost teddy bears. They worry about dropped ice cream cones. They worry about cleanliness, especially these days, of course. They worry about lineups and hassle. They worry about what their clients care about. That's the experience you feel. Everybody else worries about their product. That's a good point you brought up for sure. Well, I think that a lot of the things that you mentioned are just hygiene. You expect an amusement park to have fun rides. Mm -hmm. That's not remarkable, I guess, Mm -hmm. is is what I'm saying. And it seems to me like what uh, you're uh, suggesting that we choreograph is something that is uh, overall the process from beginning to end is a more remarkable, referable even kind of time. Yeah. In fact, okay, so to use experience economy speak here, What we do is we're informing every action, every single thing we do is informed by the theme that our business is. Your theme differs from your mission statement. So I'm going to jump back to Starbucks away from Disney. The mission statement of Starbucks is inspire the human spirit, one sip, one cup, one neighborhood at a time. That's their mission statement, which is a really wonderful way of saying we want to sell some coffee. But their theme is to be the third place, home, work, Starbucks, which is all based on this observation, which is that at the time, everybody only owned two things, their home and their job, all other businesses and services they just use. And Howard Schultz at Starbucks had said, you know, how we're going to succeed here is by getting out of the coffee business and into the people business. 
homework Starbucks. We want to become the third place people own. So why this is significant here is, if you will, when any other coffee shop, if it's a person, wakes up in the morning and goes to fire up, you know, the boiler and get this coffee shop going today, there's one question that they're thinking about, and that's how are we going to sell more coffee today? But when Starbucks rolls out of bed as a person and goes to open Starbucks, they're thinking about something totally different. What they're thinking about is, what are we going to do to make people feel at home? The first person is thinking about selling coffee. The second person is thinking about creating the illusion that you're the owner of the place you're in. So how you do it, so as you had said, it's like it's informed by your theme. And then you consider what impressions that you want to make. So go back to your question about, geez, well, how would you turn a review meeting into an event? It's like, well, you have to ask yourself what impressions you want to make. That I'm busy, but never in a hurry. That I'm interested in you. That we take a team approach. That we couldn't wait for you to get here, right? These are impressions a person would want to make on their client who comes in. And the harmonizing cues, the things that you could enhance or eliminate from the customer experience or journey, if you will, that would demonstrate to them without ever telling them what your theme is. So for instance, when I say, well, does waiting for your client outside or in the lobby help reinforce the impression that you couldn't wait to see them? That it's not just a meeting for you, that when you hear Dennis and Sherry are coming in, you're like, thank goodness, it's about time. We haven't seen those guys in five months or six months. I'm dying to see them. Well, how do you enhance that? How do you harmonize that? Well, you harmonize that by standing outside and by being prepared and by having the whole team come over. You, har- you, you enhance that by having a tablecloth on the table, flatware and glassware, by having pictures of us up, by personalizing whatever it is you put on the television in your lobby to something that only Sherry and I would be interested in. So really, that's the difference. Other businesses, what they're predominantly focused on is the product. In the experience economy, we're focused on the client. The client is the product. Transformation of the client is the end game of the experience economy. We want to create a memory. We want to cause change to happen on the inside. As you and I are having this conversation, the market is bouncing all over the place. And there's a lot of measures right now who are getting schooled on just how unsure their clients really were about the value that they're bringing. And then there's a whole bunch of other advisors who have never made the value they bring to their client about the returns. They've always positioned it as those are goods or services. It's financial planning. It's important. But what they've been focusing in on instead is who they're helping their clients become. They do a really good job at educating their clients about markets and how they work. They do an excellent job educating their clients about diversification and balance and keeping cash on hand. And they do an exceptional job keeping their client focused on becoming the best version of themselves, challenging them. Dennis and Sherry, I always use myself as I say, you got a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old now. You're pushing 50. Your business is in a new place. Your life is in a new place. What's possible now that wasn't possible five years ago that you should be working on, that you want to do, that I can help you with? That's where advisors need to be focusing. Get everybody's attention off the day-to-day you know, performance of the market. It's not about the money. It's about what they're going to do with it and who they want to be and how, they're, how you're going to help them become the best version of themselves. So I would have to think that one of the most rewarding parts of your job is not flying in an airplane and going all over the place and talking to people because I don't imagine necessarily that 
a lot of travels always number one on the list, but I would have to think that in the consulting especially, you have a very similar process. You want to see advisors become whatever it is that, that they aspire to be. What's it like or what does it look like when the light turns on? Okay, that's cool. So we call it the moment. Oh, same thing with you guys. And by you guys, I mean advisors basically do the same thing. <laughs> we help people organize themselves. <laughs> you investors and me, financial advisors who, who are actually business owners, right? So we call that the moment. Most people, let's use investors for you guys and advisors for me. So business owners or investors. We'll use investors first. Well, what happens is they've got all these things they should be thinking and worrying about, but they don't or can't because they're fixated on financial planning and money management and all the rest of it. And often and oftentimes they're hiding from it, right? So just like you guys, when you sit down with a client and you demonstrate that they're richer than they think, you know, you questions answered, you get the plan set up and you can see it. They're relieved. They feel better. What happens is there's now capacity created in their life. They can think about things that are actually important. Now that you have this done, you know, a person can actually sit down and say, I need to reconnect with my siblings. I need to reconnect with myself. Like now that I've got this solved, I realize I haven't had a vacation in a really long time. So when I take my side of that business, as I said, we call it the moment. And what will happen is Tom, my partner, who I assure you is real, everybody. I've been talking about a guy that nobody's ever seen. He's like Charlie Munger to my Warren Buffett, <laughs> except people actually see Charlie Munger. Tom does the lion's share of the consulting. He'll refer to it as the moment. And he'll say like, hey, Chip had his moment today. And this is cause for tremendous excitement for us. It's like, okay, wait a second. Let me finish what I'm doing. Call me. Tom and I work in different locations. And he'll tell me all about the same idea. Well, you know, our client came in and they, they thought they owned a business, but they don't. They really just own a job. It's a job that pays a million and a half dollars, mind you. But they have all this opportunity, all this stuff sitting in piles, things twisting in the wind. They have no process, no systems. They're fighting at home. I'm editorializing a little bit here. But, you know, people are people. They're stressed out. Nobody's any fun when they're stressed out. So after a little while of working with us, we get them all fixed. And it's just like working with an investor. All of a sudden, with nothing on your radar that you need to worry about, you'll say something to Tom, and we call it the moment, and you might say something like this. Hey, boys, just want to let you know one other thing. My wife says I'm way more fun since I started working with you guys. Or one of my favorites is one of my favorite clients down in Texas. His name is Andy. He says to me one day, he goes, well, Dennis, he says, you ask anybody, they're going to tell you that, you know, when they think about spontaneity, I'm not the first guy that comes to mind, okay? His financial advisors typically aren't particularly spontaneous. And he says, but I don't know. There's something about talking to you that's made me do some crazy things. And he went on to tell me that, like, just on the spur of a moment, he had bought airplane tickets and he and his wife were going to go to England to check out Wimbledon to go to this tennis tournament, okay? So for me... The most rewarding thing in the world is when I know my client actually owns a business now. We've brought order to their life. We've inspired them to innovate and implement meaningful, lasting change in their life and their business. You know, our own theme, we have our mission statement, you know, but our theme is that business is good. And I know that seems so simple. But for a lot of people that own businesses, they don't realize this. They don't think business is good. They don't think that business is fun. But I'll tell you, and I hope that you know this, and I hope that everybody listening goes, oh, amen, man. 
Amen. And here it is. Are you crazy? There is nothing more fun than owning a great business. There is nothing more fun than knowing your market. There is nothing more fun than figuring out ways to matter more to them. There is nothing more fun than when business works. When your joy of the work and the fulfillment you derive from it so far supersedes the money that you don't even think about it. That it's literally, you don't even think about it. Like you, you started this conversation, which for everybody listening feels like 20 minutes ago, I'm sure. You said, well, I'm sure it's flying around. And you know, it's the funniest thing. I've done it for a really long time. And yes, there's times when I think, oh my goodness, this flying is going to kill me. But I still get nervous before every talk. And I still get excited and somewhat, um, somewhere between humble <laughs> and shocked when I get invited to go speak at a conference. I can't believe it. When I get invited to be on your podcast, I'm like, thanks a lot. It really matters to me. I'm not just saying that because I'm supposed to. I am telling you like, what? This is amazing. We're going to have this conversation and share it with everybody. When my kids say to me, and they're little, seven and 12, and my seven-year-old especially, she's got a good case of the daddies right now. So like the other week, she gets a little sad and I'm carrying her around my house and she just starts to sob, which hurt. Okay. Admittedly, no, suddenly I didn't want to go away at all. And I said to her, Oh, honey, what's wrong? You know, and through sort of choked up, she says, I just wish you didn't have to leave. Like, why do you have to go to this meeting or something? And I told her the truth on which I've said for years, which is, I got to go help my friends. Okay. She said, I got to go help my friends. I got to go all the way to California and I got to talk to my friends because they have a problem and they don't know how to fix it. And I can help them fix it. And candidly, you know, same thing for everybody listening that's an advisor. Come on. As we record this, I realize things are tough. The market's jumping around. Coronavirus and all the rest of it. I know. But could we just accept that while that's happening, could we also accept that there is no greater privilege in life than having a job that A, you own, and B, where the purpose of said job is to turn the lights on for other people to shine a light in the corner, to let them see it, to show them the way out of something they didn't think there was a way out of it. Like, Oh, that's the greatest thing in the world. You nailed it. I had my aha moment when you were talking about, you know, again, the becoming and the transformation. And I think that for a lot of us, when the plan is done, and especially after the last 10 years of the market being friendly, we'll say it is gratifying. And I think that for me, you know, one of my takeaways is to be more intentional. I love it when I have the moment, when I see the moment, when my client is now doing something. I have a client, you mentioned the third place that is moving from Indianapolis to Denver to open up a place. Denver has a big seminary, and they're moving to open a leadership kind of training place. They're both in the ministry, and they're moving there with the idea that visiting folks need a place to be and meet and stay. And it's one of the best conversations I ever had because mm -hmm. now you're taking your values in terms of financial values, and you're turning it into an expression of your values, who you are, and what you're 
about. And to be a part of that is a great experience. And so for a lot of us, what I hear is we need to take that next step of the planning is done. We can talk about the markets go up and down. And I know for me, I'll talk to clients about how we have a plan that addresses all these things. But now when the plan is done, the process isn't over. Because now what I'm taking away from this conversation is we can go from we know you're going to have enough money or we're comfortable, confident you're going to have enough money. Now what? Now what do we really want to think about here? Everybody wants to be the best version of themselves, whether they would express it that way or not. So it's like, so what's in you, man? Is it the great American novel? Is that what you want to write? Worry about what your clients care about. What do they care about? Find that out. You know, I didn't, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to talk about, you know, names, but I'm going to tell you this. It is unbelievable. And I'm guessing, but I'm going to guess in 23 years of doing this, I'm going to guess that close to 25% of the advisors I have worked with have shared with me that one of the things they need to fix is their relationship with their children. How about that? Yeah. Thanks, Dennis. So we get all this set up. I chatted with two guys yesterday. I love them. I met them in the field, as it were, years ago, San Francisco. Love them. Saw one of the two, their brothers, saw one of the two at a workshop recently. It was great. Then they emailed the other day to say, you know, hey, can we catch up and shall we have a question about experience? I said, yes. So we have this little chat a couple of days ago. And I say to them at the end, I go, listen, fellas, you know, I like you very much. It's great. We've chatted a bunch of times. And I'm just going to level with you. I love talking to you. I love what you've got going. And I love where your thinking's at. Okay. Let me just be candid. And I go, clearly though, when it comes to running a business, you absolutely suck at it. And they both burst out laughing. Like literally not to be cruel. It's like, dudes, we just had the same conversation, half of it that we had five years ago. You're no good at this. You're very good at this stuff. You're lousy at systems, processes, and setting it up. Like in other words, I'm saying hire a pro and get this done right. Like let's just work together and get this done. And the next thing, though, that I then get into is I say, everything that they talk to me about vis-a-vis experience is what really drives them. And what really drives them is their desire to help their clients understand what their life is about. That's what drives them. These meaningful conversations that they have with their clients about who they really want to be when they grow up. Increasingly, every client of every business in the world, not just people evaluating their advisors, they're going to measure the value that they feel they get from the relationship with their financial advisor by asking this question, who's this guy helping me become? With these two guys, I basically pointed out, Phallus, you know, this is the equivalent of me doing a financial plan, you know, a business plan. Gentlemen, let's do this right know who you are, build this business from the ground up around who you are and the work you want to do so that you can go be fulfilled doing for your clients the things you want to do, which is helping them understand precisely what they're trying to express about themselves in their life, what their message is, who they are. You know, and again, I'll just say like, man, can you believe you can have a job where that's your job? Helping people become the best version of themselves. Like, oh my goodness, we should all take a moment to celebrate just that. Yeah, it's humbling, really, when you think about it. The opportunity that we have to to affect people, and generationally even, 
I couldn't agree more. Now, we focus, Dennis, on being actionable. You know, it's a big deal for me that we try to leave with something that somebody can go out. If they're looking to grow their practice, if they're looking to be different, to do different, what would you suggest in terms of cultivating the experience or thinking on that? What's something that they could do today just to get started? The short answer is this. Thinking about those five stages of experience, enticing, entering, during, exiting, and extending. Break down the customer journey along those five stages. Identify the areas where you force your client to sacrifice and eliminate sacrifice. Most businesses try to increase client satisfaction. And I'm saying, no, no, that's good. But here's what's great. Decrease sacrifice. Don't increase satisfaction. Less bad is more impactful than more good. The moment you decrease sacrifice and make a shift towards personalizing, you take a step towards experience. That's the short answer. Here's the slightly longer answer. The slightly longer answer is you got to figure out what business you're really in and what you're trying to do for your clients. And you've got to come up with an authentic, real purpose, your experience. Think of your experience you know, as the conceptual law that informs everything you do. At the heart of a fantastic experience are two things, authenticity, something that you are and believe in and have no trouble sharing with the world. And the second thing is generosity, a desire to share it. So the short answer is eliminate customer sacrifice find the places that are painful and eliminate them, you immediately take a shift towards experience. The second thing is, and do whatever you need to do to get in the right frame of mind. One of my clients used to say, no, whenever I talk to you that night, I just have two glasses of wine and I go for a long walk. (laughs) So whatever it takes, come up with, what is it that I want to use my business to teach my clients? You know, okay, so I'm going to manage the assets for 125 families. I'm going to make sure that they are all sound and, you know, financially secure. That's a given. That's the stuff I'm going to think about. Here's what I'm going to worry about. I'm going to worry and I'm just going to use myself, okay? What I'm always trying to do is I'm trying to get my clients to own real businesses instead of jobs so that they can spend as much time with their family as they possibly can and have as few regrets as possible. That's what I'm all about. That's what I'm doing. And they have to do the same. Short answer, eliminate sacrifice. Longer answer, come up with a theme, a purpose. Think about some impressions you want to make. Harmonize the environment. Enhance and eliminate, right? Evoke the five senses. Experience is multisensory. What do people see? What do they hear? What do they smell? What do they want to touch when they're in your office? You obviously aren't a pizza place, but you can evoke a sense of taste. What sense of taste do you evoke? What are your signature moments? What are the things that you do for your clients that they would miss if you didn't do? And lastly, what's the memorabilia? What do they leave with? To go all the way back to the U2 example, the concert's over and you're walking out the door and you buy a t-shirt. It's memorabilia of the moment. You wear it the next day to work or out and you tell all your friends, yeah, I saw them and you should have been there too. Same idea, everybody listening. Your clients can't leave empty handed. 
Well, you nailed it. I think that it's rare that I re-listen to my own podcast. <laughs> Maybe the first few. I may have done that the first few times. But this is one for me. I've scribbled down tons of notes, but it is definitely food for thought on how to, again, really move towards that transformative because you don't get fired for market performance when you're doing that. It just doesn't happen. Dennis, as we wrap, if somebody wanted to reach out, if they want to know more, kind of follow up or ask more questions, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, they should visit our website. That's usually a good place to start. And the website is my last name. It's mosleywilliams.com. M-O-S-E-L-E-Y williams.com. Everybody will find all the things you need to know about us, the work we do and for whom and all the lovely things too. If this is the kind of thinking you like, blogs and white papers and all kinds of assorted nerdery. Well, Dennis, thank you for spending some time with us. I've learned a, a ton. It's been very valuable for me and I know it has been for everybody else. Thanks for spending time. Thanks very much for having me on, Chip. I think you're doing really good work, man. Keep it up. Well, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. So if that sounds like you, or if you have questions or, or really want to think through the experience, I encourage you to reach out to Dennis. One of the things that he didn't say was that if you follow him on LinkedIn, you might get to see his daughter, who I think at the time may have been seven or eight, driving a car. And so uh, never know what you might see on social media. So I do encourage you to go check <laughs> Dennis out on LinkedIn as well. If this is you, hit me up. I enjoy having conversations about this kind of stuff. If I can be of help, I certainly want to follow Dennis's advice and be generous. You can reach out to me, chip at sigwealthpartners.com. Or you can join us over in the Facebook group. Just search Maximum Advisor on Facebook and join us there. I check in there all the time. And so we would love to continue the conversation. Otherwise, we'll be back at you in a couple of weeks. And thanks for hanging in. To download what we believe is the single most important marketing, selling, and positioning tool for your practice, go to MaximumAdvisor.com scorecard now. Join the conversation in our private Maximum Advisor Facebook group and subscribe to this show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at MaximumAdvisor.com.